So as I mentioned a moment ago, we are in the midst of a series that we are calling Jesus Revealed. We're looking at the seven I Am statements in John's Gospel, seven different images that Jesus uses to, to reveal who He was. Last week we looked at what it means that Jesus is the light of the world. And now today on this Earth Stewardship Sunday, the day after Earth Day, we're looking at what He was implying when Jesus said, I am the vine. I am the true vine. Along with the series, we are inviting the entire congregation to read together through the Gospel of John. We've put together a, a reading plan. We have these bookmarks that are available at all the exits. I hope you will pick one up this morning and put it in your Bible. And each day, there are just a few verses uh, that we invite you to read. Um, if you've not started that plan, it started this last week, there's still plenty of time to catch up. It's just a few verses a day. We would love to have you join us uh, with that. We've also put together uh, some resources on our website, uh, some things that will help you uh, in your study and your journey through the Gospel of John. Uh, just a reminder, for some of you, we have four accounts uh, four books uh, of the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. We, we call them gospels, a word that quite literally means good news. And all of them were written by different authors to a different audience and, and in some ways for a different purpose. The first three are oftentimes referred to as the synoptic gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic, which comes from a Latin word that means seen together. Uh, and they include many of the same stories, offer oftentimes in the same sequence or in sometimes even identical wording. It's clear that they borrowed from one another. But then there's John's gospel that sort of that stands alone. It covers a different time span than the others. It, it locates much of Jesus' ministry in Judea rather than Galilee and Samaria. And it also portrays Jesus talking at length about theological matters. Perhaps most surprising to some is that a lot of the material that is found in the synoptics is not mentioned at all in John's gospel, including some what consider, some might consider some pretty, some pretty important episodes like the temptation of Jesus, the transfiguration, the institution of the Lord's Supper on the Last night, not mentioned at all by John, there's no stories of Jesus casting out demons, neither is there the Sermon on the Mount or the Lord's Prayer. None of those things are included in John's gospel, but yet on the same way. There's also a considerable amount in John's gospel that is not found in the synoptics, including the long extended farewell discourse that we're going to talk about in just a moment. The major difference, though, the major difference is that the purpose of John's gospel is different. The author of John's gospel tells us at the end of the book, he says that he has chosen to record the events that he has shared. Many of the symbolic acts uh, are left out, he says, but instead has included other episodes in order that his readers may understand the more mystical essence of the incarnation of Jesus. It says there in John chapter 20, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not included in this book, but these, he says, the things that I have written are there so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing in him, you may have life in his name. As we'll see in the coming weeks, the author of John's gospel doesn't just narrate the stories, 
but instead singles out details, suggests an ordered theological interpretation of these events. He adds interpretive comments, almost, almost like a commentary to the story itself, talking about Jesus' motives. Now, I want to start this morning with a bit of a confession. And the confession is that I don't love John's gospel. Several of you have mentioned over the last couple of days that it is your favorite gospel, and I'm glad for that. <laughs> but it's not mine, in part because if we're being honest, if we're being honest, I've always been intimidated by John. His use of symbolism and imagery and metaphor, nuance, it's always been intimidating to me. It's complex, it's dense. I'm more of a, I'm more of a narrative person. I like stories, I like parables. I don't know, maybe mine is a more simple faith. Maybe I'm not all that deep after all. So in this series, I've taken this up as a challenge, not just to myself, but hopefully to you, to intentionally push myself in hopes of growing in this understanding of the character of this mystic Jesus as that we discover in the fourth gospel. And so that's why I hope that you will join me, that you will challenge yourself in reading through this book so that together we might come to a more deep, richer sense of who Jesus was. Now, the text today comes from a section of the gospel known as the Farewell Discourse. It's five chapters there, chapters 13 through 17, in which Jesus is talking to the disciples the night before his crucifixion. And he's preparing them. He's telling them that he's going away, farewell discourse. He's going to the Father. And in that moment, he washes their feet an event that doesn't take place in the Synoptic Gospels. And in that moment, he says, I give you a new commandment that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. By this, he says, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, he says, you have love for one another. And then he assures them that they're going to be okay that he's sending them the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit will be with them, will guide them, will lead them. And then Jesus says this. From John's Gospel, chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So when Jesus says, I'm the vine, it takes me a minute to, to reorient myself to, a, to an unfamiliar word. I am the light that we looked at last week. I can, I can understand that. As we discussed last week, uh, John's gospel is filled with references between light and dark. And, and I may not understand the physics of how light works, how it does what it does, but I do know that without it, we can't see. And there are some other images that we'll be looking at in the coming weeks. Uh, the bread of life, Jesus says. I am the bread of life. I am, I am the good shepherd. Now, I can wrap my head around those. I may not be able to bake my own bread, but I've been to a bakery. And I know that when I eat bread, it sustains me. It fills me. And while I've never heard it cheap, I do own a border collie. That should count for something, right? And I can understand, too, there's a sense of caring for an animal, protecting it, searching for her if she were to wander off. Again, I can associate, I can begin to connect with those images. But a vineyard? Now, I like wine. Don't get me wrong. I love a good Pinot Noir, and I can distinguish that from a, a good Cabernet or a Zinfandel. But when it comes to managing a vineyard, the time, the patience, the expertise that it would take in order to produce that wine seems far beyond my abilities. Now, my parents were both raised on farms in West Texas. But I can barely keep the plant alive that Renee gave me for my birthday on my desk. It sits there, and the only way that it is still alive these four months later is because every once in a while, Renee will walk in and say, hey, it's time to water your plant, dummy. And I knew that in that moment, it's time to water the plant. That's the only way that I can keep it alive. But I do suspect that there are some elements of intentionality, of vulnerability, of cultivation that are present in this statement that I think that we will come to see here shortly. But perhaps the most unique attribute of this I am statement, the element of this phrase, is that it includes us. All of the others are about Jesus, but for the first time, the community is wrapped into Jesus' identity. I am the vine, he says, you are the branches. You see, we have been grafted into this fully human and fully divine story. There's this new layer in this grand, divine, dramatic masterpiece. Again, I come from a long line of farmers, from ranchers. It's part of my DNA, you could say. You might even say that it's part of my inheritance. But you know what else is a part of my inheritance? Male pattern baldness. <laughs> that too is part of my inheritance. And, and folks, I know that there are some that will tell you, scientists that will tell you that the Gene for male pattern baldness comes from your mother's side. But friends, don't believe them. 
Because if you were to go to a Peterman family reunion, it would become very clear very quickly who are Petermans by birth and who was married into the family all by looking at the amount of hair on their head. There is not a Peterman male over the age of 30 that has hair on their heads. I don't know where I am on this story. It just seemed like it was an important part. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The truth is that we can't choose our inheritance, but we can choose which part of our inheritance we will cultivate and which part we will just simply strive to overcome. During this farewell discourse, Jesus seems to be detailing the the kind of inheritance that the disciples will receive after his death and resurrection. He says to them in verse 16, if we were to continue to read just a few verses later, he, he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. He goes on to detail how they will receive the Holy Spirit, that he'll go to prepare a place for them in his father's house, how they're no longer servants, but now they are friends. And all of this, all of this seems to be this gift that Jesus passes along to his disciples. Now, if you were listening, as Steve was reading a minute ago, you got to see, begin to see some of the complexities of John's writing. In the text that you just heard, it, it, it goes round and round. There's different layers. There's different connections. The word abide is used eight times in that little small section of text, eight times, and it keeps coming back to this idea. And then it also goes on this somewhat seeming tangent about a branch can't bearing fruit by itself. It, it has to remain on the vine, and if you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit, but without me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me, you will be like a branch that is thrown out and dries up. Those branches are gathered up, and they're thrown into a fire and burned. Now, at first glance, this seems to be a bit harsh, and it sounds ominous to know that if we aren't producing good fruit, then, then, well, then we'll be cut away as rubble, burned off. Now, I have heard sermons before that would suggest, not in this church, thankfully, but I've heard sermons before that would suggest that Jesus' purpose in life That the reason for his coming is to save us from all of the things that Jesus is going to do to you if you don't follow him. Have you heard that sermon before? That seems counterintuitive at best. And I have to think that he's meaning something different by that. He goes on to say that you've already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you, he says. And that word that he's talking about, the one that has cleansed us, He comes earlier in this discourse, earlier in the evening when he says, I give you a new commandment, that you are to love each other just as I have loved you so in the same way that you are to love one another. To abide in Christ, to be connected to the vine means that we love each other as Christ loves us. I've worked on it all week. That's the the easiest, most simple way that I can narrow this down to what this all means. To abide in Christ, to be connected to the vine, means that we love each other as Christ loves us. 
and to threaten being thrown away, to be placed in a fire because of the lack of fruit. Well, friends, that doesn't seem all that loving. So it must mean something else. Jesus' introduction to the relationship between the vine grower and the vine and the branches, theologians will look at that and say that it's taking on a Trinitarian framework. It's signaling a a mutual and shared adoration of a a self-fulfilling fullness. It paints this picture where each character in this portrait, it They need each other. They're dependent upon one another. They're all interconnected. The vine grower prunes and cultivates. And the vine, it it holds all things together. And then there are the, the branches that produces the fruit in which the vine grower then prunes and cultivates. And so the cycle continues again and again. And this vine, the branches, as it, as it expands, as we step away and step back, we can look, we can see this interconnectedness, how, how intentionally woven these characters are, about how we are all a part of what God is doing in this world, how we are a part of what God is doing through Jesus in this world, how we are a part of the salvific, redemptive work of Jesus there's a great line in the movie Braveheart, a movie that is based loosely on the, the life of William Wallace, a heroic Scottish freedom fighter. And in the movie, just before he meets his demise, his lover, who was the, the princess, begs him to make a, a loyalty oath to the king so that the king will show him mercy. But he, he tells her that, that, that if he swears that oath, well, then he's dead already. But, he says, that's okay, because, and then he says, every man dies, but not every man really lives. Everyone dies, but not everyone really fully lives. I think that's one of the great lines of dialogue ever uttered in a movie. And I also think that in many ways it cuts to the heart of what it means to be connected to the vine. Because as I mentioned earlier, God is the vine grower. It cultivates and prunes the vine. But this pruning is a way of cleaning, of cleansing the vine itself. But the cleansing isn't so that we will live forever. In fact, it's just the opposite. The vine will be cut down. There's no escaping the eventual end to our story. But being connected to this vine is what it means to really live, to truly live now. Now, friends, here's what you need to know, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a person of faith because of what it will get me after I die. I'm not a Christian for what will happen to me after I die. I am a Christian, I am a person of faith because I think it is the best way to live today. I'm not a Christian because I want the reward of heaven. I'm not a a Christian because, because I'm running from hell. I'm a Christian because the character of Jesus is so compelling to me that I want to spend my life chasing it, embodying it, sharing it. 
I am a Christian because I think it's the best way to live now. Everyone dies, but not everyone really lives. I want to talk for a minute about this whole idea of good fruit and what that looks like, a good harvest. We live in a culture, don't we, where that oftentimes is translated, what it suggests is, is good fruit, a good harvest, it, it must be connected in some way, shape, or form to, to wealth, to success, to power. But I would argue that, that to really live is to live as Jesus lived. To really live is to, to live as Jesus lived, which means being with those that are on the underside of power. It means offering healing and hope to, to people who are in the midst of suffering. It means speaking truth to power when it needs to be spoken. It means being vulnerable, humble, generous. To really live is to live as Jesus lived to recognize that there is this connection, this interconnectedness between us as the branches, between him as the vine, between God as the vine grower, that we are all connected in this together. There's this great story, one of my favorite stories, about a, a rabbi that sat down one time with his disciples. And he asked him a question, how can you tell when night has ended and the day has begun? Well, they talked amongst themselves for a minute, and finally one of them raised their hand and says, I've got it, Rabbi. It is when, at a distance, you can tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. The rabbi says, no, no, that's not it. So they went back to talking amongst themselves, and then finally another one raised their hand and says, I've got it, Rabbi. It's, it's when, at a distance, you can tell the difference between a date tree and a palm tree. And he says, no. No, that's not it. And so they went back to talking amongst themselves, and finally, one of them raised their hand and says, okay, we give up. How can you tell when night has ended and the day has begun? And in that moment, the rabbi lowered his voice, and they all leaned in close to hear. And he says, you can tell when night has ended and the day has begun when at a distance you can look into the face of another and see a brother or a sister. Because until then, he says, it will always be night. We are all connected together. Us with Jesus, Jesus with God, us with each other, us with the world itself. I am the vine, you are the branches. It, it shows us this interconnectedness with Jesus, with one another, that we are no longer servants, but now we are friends. And in this moment, we are talking not just about Jesus' identity, but our identity in Jesus' life as well. That we have a role to play. And that role is both a, a blessing and a calling to recognize our connectedness to never be dormant, but to live fully here and now, bearing the fruit of the love of God, the love of God, the love of others, the love of the world itself. Amen.
this whole understanding of the vine and the connection that we have as the branches, perhaps the best place that we can fully understand and experience that connection is here at this table. Because here at this table, each week we gather together and we connect ourselves not just with Jesus through this holy and sacred meal, but we also connect ourselves with each other. We literally share passing the bread of life and the cup of hope. And in this moment, we, we experience the wholeness that God intends for this world. Anyone who lives with any sense of compassion knows that there is brokenness everywhere, but there need to be places where we can come to experience the wholeness that God intends. And I would argue that here at this table is one of those places where we can experience it and know it and then go forth from this place and, and begin to create those other relationships and those connections. And so we remember that night when Jesus gathered with his disciples there in the upper room, knowing that he would be leaving them. He took a loaf of bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he said, this, this is my body. It's for you. Take and eat of it, all of you. And as you do this, remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup and after he filled it, he said, this cup is a new covenant. It's a promise that I pour out of my blood. And from this day forward, each and every time that you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, may you remember, remember me, he says. Remember this wholeness that God intends for our lives. Will you pray with us? Loving God, as we eat the bread of life and drink the cup of salvation, reveal to us, Holy Spirit, your love and compassion shown through the birth and life of Jesus Christ. Open our hearts and minds to behold your presence. May this bread and this cup nourish our souls. Amen.